you want to imagine me as a 16-year-old, you're more than welcome to. I'm still ugly, so if that helps you. Uh, we had to do a re- little re- re- rearranging uh, for tonight, so that's why I'm up here speaking. Uh, I'm proud of these boys, though, for getting up and doing what they're doing. Uh, if you would, though, would you open your hymn books? We need your songbook and your Bible tonight. Uh, hymn 645. Hymn number 645. <clears throat> so when I found out I need to do a lesson tonight, I went to the archives, which is my filing cabinet in my office, and this is from April of 2000. So maybe you haven't heard it. I love this song. It just it, it paints a picture of what Jesus did. When you look at these lyrics and pay attention to, you know, the Bible does tell us to, when we sing, to sing with the Spirit, but also sing with the understanding. Uh, understanding what we're saying, what these lyrics mean. Uh, that's why our elders even look at certain hymns and say, maybe we shouldn't do that one. And probably rightly so, because we sing with the understanding too. Well, to my knowledge, no issues with this hymn as we get into it. Look at the first lyrics. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross, where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Now, right off the bat, you might say, wait a minute. Was the cross on a hill? Did the Bible actually say it was on a hill? Well, not necessarily. What does the Bible say? It was at Golgotha, at Calvary. But history certainly teaches, if you study it, that if you were crucified, you were put someplace where you could be seen. That was part of the discipline, punishment, if you will, by the Roman government. So to have this in the lyric, some of them might say, well, how do you know it was old? It was new. Come, please, come on. Someplace in and around Jerusalem, on a cross, the emblem of suffering and shame, an emblem, an emblem, a visible symbol of a thing, a, a sign, an idea, if you will, sometimes. We know what an emblem is. Uh, everybody knows the Nike swoosh. What you say? All right, and, and certain emblems. Um, the cross is an emblem, as this lyricist states, an emblem of suffering and shame. Then the lyricist, lyricist says, "And I love that old cross." Now it's an emblem of suffering and shame. We'll get into that more in just a second. But then she said, or he says, the lyricist says, and I love that old cross. Well, why would we love the cross? If it's an emblem of suffering and shame, why would we love it? Would you turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2? Colossians chapter 2. Let's read a passage that the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches at Colossae. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 2. Verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands 
by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, listen, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. So how can we say on this hill, or on this cross, where Jesus was crucified, and it's an emblem of suffering and shame, that we can love it because of what happened on that cross? Or, let me say it this way, because of the person who was on that cross and the power of that person dying on that cross. He suffered and he died. And a lot of people suffered and died. There's only one Jesus. As the text states here in Colossians, it takes care of our trespasses because he did that. Look at the second verse. Oh, that old rugged cross, so despised by the world, has a wondrous attraction for me. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. Why? Why was it despised by the world? Why would you might look at the cross and be so despised by it? Well, it meant death, as we've already talked about. It meant death. It meant agony. It meant suffering. There was nothing good about it. There was nothing nice about it. You had no aspirations as a young child. I want to be on the cross someday. Nobody would do that. Nobody would be that tormented. That's what it represented. It was despised, oh, that is despised by the world. But the lyricist again takes a turn. Beautifully takes a turn. Has a wondrous attraction for me. Well, what is the attraction? of the cross to us. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. The Bible tells us that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his what as a ransom? Tell me, church. Give his life. To give his life for us, for his people, or for people. So in one way, as the world looks at the cross and thinks, he must have been a crook. They must be bad. He must have been bad. It's so despised. Should be ashamed. But Jesus willingly allowed himself to be nailed to that cross to serve to give himself as a ransom that my life and your life can have hope, can have real hope. So it can be a wondrous attraction when you put it in that context. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above. Jack referenced Philippians 2, one of my favorite passages, how Jesus, as God, left glory. Left glory. What's your favorite place in the world 
I mean, you love being there. All right, I see, I see somebody smiling. I know who she's thinking about. Disney. And with that, they had to drag me away from Disney. I love going. Certain other places I like going to. Well, Jesus left someplace a whole lot better than anything we can imagine. He left his home. As glorious as it is, he left it. To bear it to dark Calvary. Jesus, with the cross, carried a burden, carried some mental uh, issues with him in carrying that cross. Maybe some spiritual ones, I don't know. But guess what? He also literally, physically, at least for a little while, had to bear his cross. Had to carry it. Until he just couldn't carry it anymore. So he had to carry it for him. He took his cross, left glory, literally took his cross, and began to walk. Knowing he was going to be nailed to it. Verse 3. In that old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. For twas on that old cross, Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. Blood so divine. Blood so divine. Get your Bibles ready. We're going to go through several passages. To look. What does that mean, blood so divine? On that cross, stained with it, no doubt. No doubt stained with it. No doubt blood dripping from it, hitting the Jerusalem dirt. Well, actually, before you even got there, through the city. What does it mean, so divine? Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Pardon me, excuse me. Ephesians chapter 1. Give you a second, then we'll go pretty fast after that. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. In that old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine. Ephesians 1 and verse 7 states, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Gentiles, people who are so far away, had no hope, but through the blood of Christ, it brings us near. It's a reconciler, is what it is. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell. In Him means Jesus. And by Him to reconcile all things to Himself. By Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you 
holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. If indeed you continue in the faith, but it goes back to that cross. Jesus giving his body on that cross. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. <clears throat> really should read chapter 9 and 10, to be quite honest, but there's a couple of verses. Hebrews chapter 9. And I'll begin with verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. How powerful is the blood of Jesus Christ that once and for all Not a sacrifice all the time, all year, every year, one time. That's how powerful the blood of the Lamb is, of Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to be in verse 17. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers, no, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. One more. 1 John chapter 1. Begin with verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Divine blood? Absolutely. Powerful, saving? Absolutely. And it's a wondrous beauty that our sins can be forgiven for what Jesus did for us through that blood. Jesus did suffer and die. not going to take the time. I got them down here from Matthew 26. Matthew 27 talks about how Jesus suffered. Matter of fact, the Gospels talks about how Jesus suffered. And he really did die to pardon us and to sanctify us. To pardon our sins and to set us apart. The last verse. To the old rugged cross, I will ever be true. 
It's shame and reproach gladly bear. Then he'll call me someday to my home far away where his glory forever I'll share. How can we be true to the cross? Let me really think about how can we be true to the cross? I don't oversimplify things, but how was Jesus true to his cross that he had to bear? He carried it, right? He carried it. Matthew 10, Matthew 16, Mark 8, Mark 10, Luke 9, Luke 14. You know what those verses state? To take up whose cross? Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Take up your cross daily, some of the passages states, and follow Jesus. What was the symbol of the cross? What was the emblem? Shame and reproach and suffering. The Lord said, Lyricist says, to the old rugged cross, I will ever be true. It's shame and reproach gladly bear. Remember what I said about Jesus, about Hebrews, Hebrews 12, verse 2? For the joy set before him endured the cross. We can say the same. There's a joy set before us that's waiting. And we've got to bear our crosses every day and deal with issues every single day, whether it's people around us or whether it's things inside us. We have to deal with it. And we have to bear our crosses. But there's a reward. There's a reward at the end for bearing your cross. Jesus died on the cross. He's put in a tomb. And now that tomb is empty. And now Jesus is ascended back to where he came from, overseeing his kingdom as the king, as our brother and friend, all because he is willing to go to that cross and shed his blood. The Chorus says, So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. One final verse. Would you go with me to 2 Timothy, please? 2 Timothy chapter 4. I will cherish the old, till my trophies at last I lay down. Till all the life's achievements that I've obtained, all the successes, all the failures, all the triumphs, all the miseries of all the trophies, trophies that I've obtained on this earth, one day I'm going to lay them down. I want to exchange them for something. Look at 2 Timothy 4 and verse 8. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. What a beautiful, beautiful verse. 
heaven is the reward. And heaven is the right reward because that's where Jesus went back to himself to prepare a place for you. Now listen to me very carefully. We're going to sing this song as an invitation. So keep your songbook open right there. I hope I've done justice to, to this song, at least talking about it. I'd love to spend a lot more time on it. But the lyricist lays out why this cross, even though the world sees it as a certain emblem, we see it as glory. We see it as hope. We see it as salvation. When I say we, I mean the ones who have accepted Jesus into your life, have repented of your sins, have been baptized for the remission of your sins, are living faithfully. I want to challenge some of you right now. If you're not a Christian, now I'm only challenging you if you know what you're doing, obviously. Do you believe that God is real? There's been a lot of marching for science yesterday. Some of us may be okay, but some of us got sort of an undertone, if you don't know, about um, don't be trying to teach creation. I don't know if you knew that or not, but anyway, that's, that's some of the things that's happening. Um, God is real. And my job is I give a dissertation about all the evidences is because there is a lot. God is real. Do you know that? I'm talking to you right now, the one who is not a Christian. Do you, do you know that God is real and that his son is Jesus of Nazareth? Do you know that? If you know that, do you realize when you're sinning, you might be messing your life up, you might be messing other people's lives up, but do you realize when you sin, it's against God? who sent his son? Do you realize that? Did you mentally understand that? Is it getting to you? Do you realize that Jesus shed his blood on the cross? I'm talking to the one who's not, been, who's not a Christian. Do you know how you come in contact with that blood? Baptism. Baptism. Do you need to repent of your sins tonight and be baptized tonight? What a glorious, glorious thing that could happen if you would do that. To we who are Christians, who live this life, we're still collecting our trophies. We like those. And sometimes those trophies we like to put up and look at and polish them, realizing maybe it's not a good thing. And that gets in the way of, look at my trophies. My mind should be on God. Sometimes it gets a little diluted and confused. Christians... Have you done that? And do you need to confess anything publicly about that? Now's the time. If you need to become a Christian tonight, to God be the glory. Do it. Or if you want us to pray for you tonight, again, to all glory to the Lord, that that can happen, and He spared your life to this moment, that that can happen. The choice is yours. You want to make your life right with the Lord tonight, do it as we stand and sing.